Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast by film lovers for film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we discuss that film, some of the ideas and themes it throws up, and talk about movies that are inspired by us, uh, linked to it. My name is Rob, I spent most of my life working in some sort of film industry, be it production or around that, so I bring hopefully a, hopefully a, uh, a wealth of technical knowledge and experience to the table. My co-pilot on this journey, the uh, fighting man next to me, is my friend Sam, who is a very well-educated. He's a lecturer, he's a teacher, he's a writer. He knows how things are supposed to work. He brings certainly the weight of academia to the show, which I certainly lack. Between the two of us, we are a prestige, and we always start the show with what else we've been watching. So, Sam. Well, I continue my Jason Statham tip um, I should probably watch something else but when it comes to sort of nine turn at night all I can deal with mentally after finishing all my jobs 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 uh, reference to James A. Caster there for those of you who are fans of Rob's recommendations recently um, so the only as I said the only, the only thing I can bring myself to do is watch some safe Jason Statham action film which actually is the name of the action film this week is Safe from 2012 stars Jason Statham um, and I say describe this sort of a far away action film um, it's actually a bit more than that and it was rather deeper and more involved than that um, right from the get-go, Jason Statham's character suffers great trauma at the beginning. Um, so it was was far more serious than I thought it was going to be. But it was a good film, nonetheless. How about you, Rob? So I, in a rare, a rare dint of being vaguely, vaguely modern and up-to-date, have watched Nomadland, this year's Oscar-winning best picture uh, as it dropped on disney plus and frankly it was fantastic um i can see why it won the oscars it did it's a very slow bit of cinema um, i've gone in record on the show before have been a big fan of sort of slow cinema it's very slow it's very unsuited it's very i don't even know what the word for it is it offers no easy answers it offers no easy get outs it offers no neat resolutions and People aren't heroes, people aren't villains, people are just people in all their myriad, messy gloriousness. And it's shot with this very sort of lazy camera that just sort of floats, but it gives this real sense of these places of the vastness of America and the way these people are nomads in a way that I think as a Brit, it's very hard to grasp. Nowhere in this country are you very far from anywhere. We have no real wildernesses left, maybe apart from maybe maybe the highlands. But in England particularly, there aren't many wildernesses left. That You're always near somewhere. And just the vast scope of America is 
well captured here and i can see it why it's won the plaudits it has um what it is an oscar film it's not for everybody it's not going to be a jason statham film called safe as much as i love the Statham films um but yeah it was really really riveting to me so i was just thinking about no i was also thinking about i should probably go away and watch it given that i've got disney plus as well and so that was me beating myself up for not having watched Nomadland and not focusing on what we should have been, which is um, the film for this week, which is the last film of our Disney animation and adaptation mini-season. It's the 1998 film Mulan. about you, Mulan. You took your father's armor. Ran away from home. Impersonated a soldier. Endangered the lives of thousands of men. And destroyed my palace. But soon the world will know the great things you have done. The greatest gift and honor is having you for a daughter. Mulan is uh, sort of later than the other films that we've looked at but still from within the 1990s canon of um, Disney animation it was a slightly more different production values and not not in a disparaging way at all it it has a different feel a different look to the other films of the 1990s it's based on a Chinese legend um, about a young girl who um, takes the place of her father who's caught to fight for the Chinese Imperial Army Um, and it features um, most notably I suppose a comic turn from Eddie Murphy as in Eddie Murphy in the Robin Williams role Mm. as of a, a supernatural comic sidekick um, and there are admirable performances from various voice actors involved in the film um, it's about the journey of Mulan a journey of self-discovery I suppose as she takes her father's role more or less successfully as a fighting quote-unquote man in the Chinese Imperial Army. So, Rob, what are your thoughts? I like this movie. I think this movie is very interesting in many ways. I think that I'm, I'm going to approach it in two two prongs as a viewer, one of which is a pure, pure enjoyment. I saw it as a kid. You know, I was 16 when it came out. 
you know, I enjoyed it then. I've enjoyed it throughout my, my life. I think it's a very good, fun film. I think there are some great performances. I think the action is shot beautifully well. I think some of the songs, especially things like Make a Man Out of You, are very memorable. But I think that in addition to that, I've got to approach this as not an academic, but someone who is analysing and talking about films, in that I think it's a very interesting film. One, I think, is that you can clearly see the hangover of Aladdin here. You can see the comedy sidekick um, here. And I'm not saying movies didn't have that before. Disney films have always had, like, the idea of a cute sidekick. You know, you've always had Thumper and that kind of thing. But as you said there, Eddie Murphy is playing the Robin Williams role. He is that modern, slightly ironic, slightly attached uh, commentator on what's happening. You can see it all the way through to now in Olaf. Olaf in, in Frozen is this same character um, that we are seeing, who is the, in many ways, the Greek chorus of the movie, who is commenting on what's going on. So I think you've got to see it in its place there. But I think also it's notable in one thing that didn't strike me until a few years ago watching this, is that halfway through the movie, the songs stop. So we talk about this film that has memorable songs. It hasn't got loads of songs in it because when they find the burnt village, when they find the destroyed village, there are no more songs because it's not a fun film at that point. It's about war and about death and an assassination attempt. And it's not a fun film in the same way that other films will have they have songs up until probably the final third act third act most films stop having songs there doing the newmont but this much earlier it stops with songs because they it was an intention when they're making it to almost hammer home the idea that these young men who are having fun and what larks in the army are coming up against brutal destruction of the village and have to face that and it, I agree it'd be so wildly disgenuous to after that have a song and dance number you know it would be a weird throwback to when you and I watched uh, Lone Ranger in which the brutal massacre of the Indians was followed up by a joke about a donkey in a tree it, 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 it nails that moment of you know of change and I mean, I saw this when I was 16, and it does feel more adult in many ways than what we've seen before. Um, so I've, I'm kind of seeing it from those two points of views, both of which are good, uh, but I think they, there are different uh, tracks to take for it. What about you, Sam? I really enjoyed this. I was, from the start, sort of immediately primed for anything to do with Orientalism. And um, I'm another obligatory link to episode in the footnotes but an episode is about the orientalization of eastern culture um, but there's surprisingly little of that here um, and I found myself sort of gripped from the start and it was strange because the first thing I wrote down was that the animation wasn't good. And then I've changed my thought. It's just, it wasn't what I expected. And it has a really stylized um, element to the animation. It feels like, I don't know if you saw this, Rob, but it was about this time the BBC did 
a series of animations of Shakespeare. And it was in this sort of style. Let's be honest, Sam. If it was in the mid nineties, you know, Shakespeare, I probably wasn't watching it. Yeah, true. That's, that's, that's more of a you thing than a me thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but it, it seems to this style of animation seemed to be in vogue at the time, and it wasn't. It, it, so my my first uh, reaction was that it wasn't very good, and actually, no, there's something sort of almost I suppose I suppose almost naive about the animation. And it's interesting that that sort of chimes with the way that Mulan is presented at the beginning. It feels like this, as this film opens, it's in a style that that chimes with its its central character. Um, and I hadn't thought about that, about the, the song stopping at that moment, but they, there was something really striking about that moment when they find the village. You just think, oh, right, this is not a knockabout. Well, it, there were signs that it wasn't a knockabout comedy beforehand. You had sort of um, make a man out of you, and Mulan obviously knowing, for example, on the way to the matchmaker, she knows... She doesn't want to be doing what she's doing, but she's doing it for the sake of her father. So there was sort of it. It, it was clear beforehand it, this wasn't a straightforward comedy, but and any suggestion of a comic element to it ends completely with that with that village scene and the tone of it shifts completely and Milan becomes less naive and the film becomes less naive as a result and so I found myself I'd be interested to go back actually after you said that and have a look at the animation see if there's a development in the animation Mm. from that point in the film whether like you said as there is a development in the oral landscape of the film and there's a development in the visual landscape as well i think it's also i mean this is a bit more niche um you know trivia stuff but this film was produced by Walt disney animation um and they have two studios one in la one in florida and this was the first film produced by the florida studio so they opened the studio before this to make this movie so it is like it is a change in who's making these movies compared to previous Disney films. Mm. So I would expect, and I can see why there would be a resultant different style compared to what we're thinking for Disney, because it is being made by a whole new team in a whole new city, in a whole new state um, compared to all the ones previously that would come out of the original one over in LA. Mm. So I can see, given the sort of the, the history of that, that's why we're going to end up with this—not a new style, but something different. Because you think, in, in terms of even outside of you know movies as art, you've got to see movies as commercial properties as well. Yeah. They've got to establish themselves. Like this is the new studio; they've got to inter- in the internal politics of Disney prove that they can do this. And so I can see why we've got a slightly different movie with a slightly different style and this new take on on a slightly more adult and grown-up theme, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You are having watched recently with, with my with my daughter things like Lady and the Tramp and Snow White, which are, while sometimes it's scary, generally quite nice. This is not that. Hmm. Yeah. 
the the idea you were talking about the idea of change and I suppose it goes with this more adult theme you're talking about the, the there's a lot at the beginning about sort of changing yourself in order to suit society's expectations and what Mulan wants and what she says in the song at the beginning is that she wants to be able to show her true self mm. and it's one of the the strange things or I suppose the, the frustrating things for a woman in a masculine world in this film is that kind of the solution to being misunderstood for Mulan, misunderstood within her gender, is to conceal herself even more, mm. is not to be clear about who she is, it's to completely disguise herself. So there's there's that frustration inherent in Mulan's character from the start. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because I mean, you know, me and Sam are two white cis guys. We probably shouldn't wade too much into uh gender identity discussions, but there is an element of this here that who she becomes becomes separate to her gender. Mm. That she the decisions she makes and the things that she does to save her friends in the army and you know her willingness to climb the flagpole with the medals and her blowing up of the mountain those are decisions that she makes as a whole person as a true person but under the guise of of the masculine presentation she has and then at the end obviously they have this scene in which they all have to pretend to be women to sneak into the castle. And it gets mm. real kind of like you are. It's a nice change in reversal that she has to pretend to be a man to be with them, and they've got to pretend to be a woman at the end. And whilst the film plays a lot of that for laughs, there is an element of separating the ability of people to do things and their skill sets from their gender presentation within the movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, which I think is an interesting take on this. I mean, I will hold my hand up and say that. I am in no way a gender studies person and I, I, I would fear to step into it for fear of getting it entirely wrong. But I think you're right there. I think there is, a, is this tension in the movie that she mm. wants to be free and be exactly who she is. But to get there, to reach that point, she's got to go through, I suppose, the odyssey of all these tribulations of becoming a man in the eyes of society to be unveiled against that and to prove her worth despite... The shame, in the comments, the shame that she feels by being caught out and her being a woman, and it yeah. takes the the ultimate authority of the emperor, who is above the law and above tradition, to to make that whole. Otherwise, she is fighting these expectations. Hmm. I suppose the the this slightly unsatisfactory part of it all is that it takes an old man to say look to to sort of legitimize her as a woman mm. you think well i think this this continues this frustration she must feel because she is not allowed to doesn't make a world for herself doesn't make an identity for herself she has it sort of placed on her by this this older guy i did i did like her you mentioned the climbing the flag on and also, the, the way to get into the castle at the end is on the same lines. That she, 
she wins, she achieves something through cunning. Mm. So you've got all the all the men of the army using traditionally masculine traits of brute force and trying to be strong and powerful and it doesn't work and what she does is uses something to her advantage and thinks about what needs to be done and sort of using the weight using the medals as counterweights Mm. is what gets her up the up the pole and what gets her into the castle at the end so she uses not sort of not feminine cunning, but she she is able to think about problems, and that seems to be the. I suppose that's that sort of separate, like you're saying. This is separate from gender identity. She is just, she's just cleverer than the others. Mm. She can just think about things and and think about what needs to be done in certain situations. There was a real echo of that I felt in uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. Mm. In that, he has to get a flag down from a flagpole, and he pulls pin out, and it falls down. And there's a whole sort of extended Trini Montine with him and Peggy, where he he is smarter and cleverer and kinder and more thoughtful than the rest of the quote unquote soldiers. Yeah, and I really felt it's like it echoed down through the years of like that same thing of like the outsider in these hyper masculine places, the the non masculine for want of a word, in the masculine time, bringing something to it. And I think that's... Maybe that's that's where the film's going, is that that, that you need both. You you, are, you have to have to have the understanding of all sides of the masculine feminine and to be able to change... Not change who you are, but be able to change what you pull upon. Because, mm. you know, she does win the fight by blowing up a mountain. And, you know... And they do win it via fighting. There's certainly a lot of fighting in the movie. So there are traditionally masculine things presented. But the film, the becoming who you are, is many ways I feel like this idea of becoming the whole person where I can pull upon my masculine traits if I wanted to, or my feminine traits. And mm. I can be somewhere on that, you know, spectrum slash hypercube of gender, or whatever. But you have that ability, and she can demonstrate traditional masculine vibes and traditional feminine vibes to be able to achieve her ends. I've just noticed, actually, I made a note that leaning on from talking about gender to talking about the, the moment of the village that we've already identified, the moment that the songs stop, and like you said, the songs stop in the film entirely, is midline, a girl worth fighting. So... Mm. At this this sort of climax of sort of toxic masculinity and throwing your your maleness around and Mulan being um, frustrated by that or confused by that or or not not feeling accepted by that feeling more of an outsider than ever before. At this moment, the the song sort of the the song literally breaks down. It falls apart. Mm. And that that seemed to be interesting when this this moment of trauma comes in at the kind of the the apex of this of this terrible song. Mm. It is a nice little undercutting of not the message of the song, but it's, yeah, really the message of the song undercuts what the film the song is trying to say. Mm. By the way, it ends it ends it on this like little like, this heart this, this this pivot moment this change moment with a movie in which it becomes something else and it stops being a slightly funny training montage mm. and becomes something else. And 
it does. I mean, I think I think a lot about things like Aladdin, um, which is like another awfully one we touched on recently. But a lot of Aladdin happens in one place in the castle, in the palace. There's a bit of in the streets, um, and there's a bit in the in the desert. But most of it happens there. It's more sort of the intriguey bits uh, that go on there. And this film very much has stages, I suppose. Like the end third is a whole new place. The Bin City. And not that there are little movies within it, but the film has this real. I suppose this is why I keep on the idea of, of Odysseus and the Odyssey. That you are going on this journey, and it is a journey from home to be training, to into the wilds, to facing your demons, coming back to triumphing, and then returning home at the end. And it's a very hero's journey, a circle, but it has this real odyssey this road trip style vibe to it where you're just going from scene to scene to scene and the scene where the big climax happens isn't one we've seen before and we're so used to so many movies you know you set up the place at the start and you come back to them at the end and you have the big denouement um in these scenes you know beauty and the beast it all happens in the castle um lion king it all happens back at pride rock mm. and this felt like the, 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 the beautiful animation at the end, but it's a whole new place. And this, I, I really felt the idea of just travelling. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep going through through all these experiences, and you'll come out the other side at the other end of her trials and relations Is the victory? Is the win? She isn't saving her home. She isn't saving her family. Really, she's saving everything. Mm. She's got to go into the place where she knows she is not wanted because she has this this honour and this duty to do it. Yeah. It's, I ended with thinking that there's that, there's this grand scale for the film that kind of is, none of the ideas contained is particular to the location. It, it comes out of this, this Chinese legend that sort of the points it's making have almost nothing necessarily to do with the the geography. It, I was left thinking about the two ways that this film works, and it's kind of, it goes back to what you were saying there, that on the one hand it's kind of a smaller film, so the localised film about a girl who's an outcast who learns to be true to herself and gets accepted for that. And then... On the other hand, this is a huge, like this had a huge escape for it. Like you said, there's this sort of huge hero's journey to it. It's and it's making a huge political point. It's making a point about toxic masculinity, erasing female worth, and it's kind of that's that's why this film works as a more adult film. That it can, it has this sort of this small localized film, and it also has this this huge film that's making a much more general point. I did wonder, the first time that we've been looking at films this sub-season, I was really intrigued to see what the remake does. Because yes. all of the others, I kind of know what the remake is going to be. I've either seen it or I know enough about it to know that it's kind of not, not always a shot-for-shot remake, but a rehashing of the original... This mm. and like, I was really intrigued by this because this film does not need a talking dragon. We talked a lot about gender and about identity and about being an outcast and 
none of that necessarily has to do with a comic turn from Eddie Murphy. So well, I, I know three things about the remake, mm. um, which are there's no dragon. Good. There's no Li Shang. Right. And there's no songs. I like you. I'm intrigued as what's next. Mm. Yeah. Because I I'm don't know how this is going to work. Because especially some of the stuff is so the early stuff is so comical and so strange. Especially the three her three sort of buddies in the army are so caricatured out there. Mm. I'm just I, I yeah I'm I'm intrigued um, to know what this is going to be like. Yeah. Tune in next time, guys. So, Sam, do you have some recommendations for us? Yes. One of them is one of the actors involved, one of the voice actors involved is B.D. Wong, and I just want to talk about Jurassic Park because it's an incredible film. Um, I mean, for possibly because of the age I was, I think anyone that was sort of 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 when... Jurassic Park came out and it struck a chord with him um, and I was just it's its one of the few films that I still think about regularly I was thinking you know, you know that opening shot where Sam Neill sees the Diplodocuses for the first time well, the opening shot but mm. the, where he sees the Diplodocuses for the first time I was thinking about that just the other week and I haven't watched and watched I probably haven't seen it for up to 20, 20 years but that shot has stayed with me because it's just something completely new in cinema and it blew me away as a nine year old and it, it, I'm sure it will blow me away as a 37 year old if I were to see it again so that's my recommendation for this week um, I've got, got another one um, related to the director Tony Bancroft, who also did animation on the animated parts of the film. I know I know Rob has seen and certainly listened to the soundtrack more times than he'd like. Um, but I I happen to really enjoy it. So really, I'm I'm with Rob's daughter on this. I do really like the soundtrack. It's the rebooted Mary Poppins returns. So those are my I two. I wish to clarify here that I'm also a fan of the reboots. Okay, good. Sequel. Sequel. It's called a sequel. Sequel. Uh, no, yeah, it, I, I think it's brilliant. How about you? So I've got... I'm going to be cheeky this weekend for three, um, but one's quite short, so I'll just do it. Uh, Ming-Na Wen plays Mulan in um, this. She is most well-known probably for being in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on TV, but that's not recommendation. My recommendation is a film from four years before Mulan, uh, the 1994 movie Street Fighter. Starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Raoul Julia, Minna Wen plays Chung Lee. The film is... <sighs> to call it good would be a push. It is a cult classic with good reason. It is campy, it is weird, it is insane in so many ways. It's a testament to the sheer charisma power of Raul Julia and Jean-Claude Van Damme Jean-Claude Van Damme has gone record saying he was doing a lot of cocaine and you can tell it's a very weird film but I like it anyway that's my side one my two real recommendations of things I think are absolutely brilliant and worth seeing Sam picked up on one of the directors there the other director Barry Cook 
uh, also does animation, um, and he still directs. He directed a film from 2011 that my family is a big fan of, um, and that's Arthur Christmas. Um, this is a Christmas film. It's full of almost every British actor in the world. Tells them Arthur Christmas, the son of Father Christmas, who saves Christmas. I say Christmas a lot now. It's losing all meaning. Um, but it's really funny. It's really sweet. It has a real anarchic British humour style to it, and he directed it. So if you haven't seen it and you've got kids, it's, it's just wonderful. My second animation is also B.D. Wong that Sam picked up on from Jurassic Park. Um, he had a very regular part as the main antagonist, villain, I'm not sure how to describe um, them, in Mr. Robot, the TV series from 2015 to a couple of years ago. He plays White Rose, a the leader of a, I think, Japanese or Chinese um, hacking collective slash alternative army. It's very hard to talk about without being giving too much away about the show, but it's a brilliant show. It actually nails the ending of the show, which so few shows have to do these days. And it's just great through and through. And he's a brilliant foil, I suppose, uh, for Ryan Malek, who plays Elliot, the main character. So those are my three. Um, but the second two are the ones that I'm really recommending. I love that scene when um, we talk about first appearances again, but when B.D. Wong appears the first time and they're kind of, I don't know, where is it? In, he's in the back room of his shop. Mm. It's kind of weirdly claustrophobic, but he's just a brilliant character. So, yes, I'm thoroughly on board with that one. Excellent. So, we've mentioned it several times here, guys, but our next week is our final episode of our current season, the final episode of our fourth season of Prestige. We are looking at the 2020 remake of Mulan. Till then, you can find me online at Kaiju FM. You can find just me by emailing prestigefilmpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find both of us, or at least the show itself, at Prestige Podcast. And we're back here, guys, in two weeks with Mulan. <laughs>